Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hey everyone, it's Rena Jada from Health Boot Camps here with Dr. Joel Kahn, one of my absolute favorite docs of all time, talking about the plant-based solution. This is a book masterclass for his book, The Plant-Based Solution. Woo, it's so pretty, I could gobble it up. I love all those berries. Science Today published that women that eat blueberries and strawberries, I don't think I have any strawberries on the cover, drop their risk of heart attack by 40%. Don't even have to eat a lot. Just got to eat them every day. I just had my strawberry smoothie right before we started. So I guess I'm on my way to better health already, better heart health anyway. So we're going to talk about why did you write this book first? And then we're going to talk about chapter one. So Dr. Joel, what prompted you to write this book? So for reasons that are hard to understand, there is no debate about exercise, smoking, sleep, stress management. Find something that works for you. Oh my God, is the nutrition world one giant wrestling match? Yes. I do eat only animals, do you eat organic, grass fed animals, do you eat uh, only plants, do you put oil in? Is butter better than margarine? We can go on and on a thousand examples. And not only is it uh, worthy of discussion because diet clearly influences risk for adult diabetes, heart disease, dementia, cancer, psoriasis. I just got off the phone with a patient that. His psoriasis went away when I added ground flaxseed to replace his low omega-3 level. I mean, it's amazing how nutrition can impact a variety of diseases. But the disagreement about what is that optimal eating plan to be healthy and live a long life is vicious, mm-hmm. as I just indicated to you. I just got off social media. So I wrote a book to put together in a very simple way the science that's available. Maybe there's holes in the science, but what we have on uh, supporting that a diet rich, if not exclusive, as I eat, on fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes of every variety under the sun uh, is your best chance to avoid and manage the big chronic diseases, we call them, when I mentioned most of them, uh, connective tissue, rheumatoid arthritis, brain diseases, uh, blood sugar diseases, cholesterol, blood pressure, obesity, and such. But I wanted to make it that people didn't need to dedicate a month to read it. And then it's jam-packed with recipes to implement a three-week eating dive into this world. So let's talk about this first chapter, which is all about the pillars, the six pillars of support for the plant-based solution, for the plant-based diet. What are these six pillars? Yeah, so, you know, as people listen to, you know, today's headline, strawberry and blueberries, tomorrow headline going to be put butter, you know, on your coffee and you'll live to 100. Because truly, there's, you can influence the dairy industry is very powerful, the meat industry, there's headlines everywhere. You know, yesterday was Kelly Clarkston won't eat beans anymore. And the day before, it was Kim Kardashian looks so great because she won't eat a carbohydrate calorie. It's crazy. So it turns out when you step back and say, you know, maybe we shouldn't be taking nutrition advice just from Kelly Clarkson. Actually, there are very strong statements from one, love it or not, our U.S. government and the USDA, Dietary and Agriculture Department, that 
endorsed three eating programs in 2015, Mediterranean, something they called Healthy American, but the third pillar of foundation was the vegetarian vegan diet. So just enough to say, our government analyzed over the course of a year with experts, vegetarian vegan was one of the three pillars. There isn't a fourth pillar called paleo, there isn't a fifth pillar called ketogenic, there's not a sixth pillar called the grapefruit diet, there's you know, three pillars. Second is the 100,000 dietitians in the United States have a master organization called the Association and Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Not always viewed as the most plant-friendly group necessarily, but they came out with a statement in 2015 also, from pregnancy through infancy through old age, a properly constructed vegetarian and vegan diet can support all phases of life. Now I said properly constructed, so that's not Pringles and Mountain Dew, which is my definition of vegetarian, and little infants, we need to be sure we're not giving them thin little rice gruel. We want them to have real food. Breast milk is always the best, of course. Third is um, Medicare and Medicaid. So, you know, our government doesn't rush to pay for treatments that don't have a lot of scientific support. And if you have heart disease and your arteries are blocked and you want to reverse your artery blockage, there is a Medicare program, in fact, two of them, to teach and help patients to reverse their heart blockage. One is called the Pritikin program, Medicare pays for it. One is called the Ornish program, Medicare pays for it, if you meet the proper criteria. They're both plant-based programs. They're not meat-based programs. They're not egg-based programs. They're not cheese-based programs. They're not grass-fed beef-based programs. They're beans, peas, lentils, whole grains, fruits and vegetable-based programs. And our government looked at the data back in 2010 said, whoa, there's thousands of data points. And they bought in because it was proven, if you're a heart patient and you do this, you actually save money, bing, bing, bing. That's the insurance companies. You know, you're not going to need a $50,000 bypass as often or a $30,000 stent as often. Fourth is, it's not a big deal, but when the U.S. News and World Report comes out every year with the best diets for people to follow, and they get a panel of experts, you know, the last two diets on the list are the paleolithic and the ketogenic diet. And usually for heart disease, the Dr. Dean Ornish plant-based approach lifestyle is number one. So we've got that panel. Fifth is that um, hospitals, Kaiser Permanente, which is the largest managed healthcare program in the United States. 10 to 12 million people are covered by Kaiser Health Insurance. They've got a very aggressive program to educate the primary care doc, and patients, that plant-based nutrition can prevent and reverse a lot. So that's an important statement, largest in the United States. And the last one is actually in the last year repeatedly, Oxford University particularly, a nutrition group they have, has come out saying, we could save 8 million lives a year from premature death by uh, shifting to plant-based nutrition, and we would dramatically reduce the damage to the environment, the Amazon, the ozone layer, pollution of the oceans by switching to a plant diet. So that's the last foundation. They just came out about four weeks ago with a definitive statement from a very technical agricultural standpoint that if we shifted um, you know, away from raising soybean and corn to feed cows, chickens, and pigs, and actually ate the soybean and corn, hopefully an organic source, not genetically modified, we would uh, do a tremendous amount for the environment. So six pillars that no other dietary pattern has yeah, at all.
not even the Mediterranean diet. Even we learned yesterday that the premier study that promotes the Mediterranean diet, less red meat, fish, fruits, vegetables, legumes, whole grain breads, olive oil, wine, no candy, no processed junk. The premier study called the Predimed study was actually retracted from New England Journal of Medicine because of some serious flaws in the science. So there's a whole controversy going on right now, although the Mediterranean diet is so much better than the drive-through bucket of fried chicken, yellow bag of sausage egg McMuffin diet. One of the key foundational studies that people keep quoting uh, has just gotten a kick in the butt in the last uh, day. Other things we don't know, like if every human in the world ate oatmeal for breakfast, a giant salad for lunch, and a bean soup for dinner, we know it would help the environment and the animals. Would everybody have an improvement in their health? I think so, but we don't know that because we can't really, I mean, is there somebody out there that wouldn't benefit from that kind of simple dietary plan? Hard to know. There are people that say so on the web, but I'm not sure what they were actually eating. Wow, that's a lot of support, Dr. Khan, for uh, um, uh, supporting a plant-based diet. Now, in Chapter 2, you talk about the heart of the matter. What is, what is the heart of the matter? Yeah, the heart of the matter is when you look at, you know, I believe that the body's a system that hearts and lungs and kidneys and brains and endocrine glandular systems all work together in this incredible symphony called health. But I'm a cardiologist. My shingle says heart doctor, and there's other specialists. So when you talk about, we have our list of heart diseases, clogged arteries, heart attacks, bypass stent, cholesterol, weak hearts, congestive heart failure. Um, what's the data that a plant-based solution exists, meaning change your diet to exclusively or nearly exclusively eating fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, family. And actually, it's the largest body of data from a medical standpoint on the advantages of plant-based diet. It's the strongest body of data. And I go through that in this chapter, going back to the 1940s, 50s, 70s, 80s, and up to the current date, uh, important studies that is the reason that we have those six pillars of support is the strong studies that led Medicare and the USDA and Oxford and others to point out uh, the Dietitians Association, point out the advantages, uh, sometimes to prevent a disease like a heart attack, mm -hmm. sometimes to reverse blockage. I mean, it's an amazing concept to pause and think that, and I, it happens in my office every single day that somebody has had heart disease for years or decades, and I'm the first discussion that tells them, you know, it's, there's books in my office sitting right here to my left that say you can reverse heart disease. And those doctors have never gone to jail for fraud. In fact, they're actually celebrated as international nutritional heroes. And if we work real hard and find nice recipes that you can enjoy like they are in my book, we might actually turn the clock back and make you younger, and make you younger at heart by design, as I say in my office. So the support that that's possible if you do hard work and are compliant, find a new breakfast, a new lunch, a new dinner, a new snack, find out how to navigate restaurants and travel and weddings and Thanksgiving. Um, you know, but the data is so strong that I wrote an article, uh, a chapter called The Heart of the Matter. And I think it's the longest science chapter in the book. So um, it's just packed in a simple way with 
such powerful points. Um, and most of us don't know. I just, I was at Cedars Sinai, a major hospital in Los Angeles, about nine months ago, giving grand rounds on nutrition. And I'm in the Dr. Lester Morrison Auditorium. And I asked uh, 200 cardiologists, does anybody know who Lester Morrison was? And nobody did. In the 1940s, Dr. Morrison did one of the most famous experiments that if you stop eating animal strong diets and figure out in the 40s, tough, to how to substitute lots of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes. How many times can I say it? He cut the death rate of his heart patients in half. That's and he published the data, but nobody remembers Dr. Morrison or his contribution. So I go through all that, partly out of giving accolade to those who are pioneers, partly out of it's still relevant data. So you've built a great foundation for why we clearly all need to be on a plan-based meal plan. Chapter three, what is the sweet news about diabetes? Yeah, so you know, there's two kinds of diabetes that we classify in medicine, type one and type two. Type one, uh, there's damage to your pancreas, you make very little or no insulin, and it's felt to be what we call an autoimmune body attacking itself disease. There actually is some data that it's triggered in children drinking cow's milk, and that since there's protein in cow's milk that aren't human proteins, there theoretically could be an antibody created, recognizing it as a foreign substance, and that that antibody might, what we call cross-react with the pancreas and destroy the pancreas, little cells that make insulin, islet cells. That's scary enough to say, I'm not gonna drink cow's milk, and not give it to children. Uh, but uh, there is that other 95% of diabetes we call diabetes type 2, which uh, is our cells don't handle insulin well, and mm -hmm. insulin opens the door to let blood sugar in, so insulin's not doing its job, blood sugar can't go in, it stays in the bloodstream. You literally sugarcoat your heart arteries, sugarcoat your nerves, sugarcoat your kidney cells, and they stop working well and you develop kidney failure, eye disease, heart attacks, impotence, and all kinds of things. But the data is overwhelming that a plant-based diet, data from the Adventist Health Center and other places, you can help avoid your risk of this epidemic, literal epidemic of type two diabetes by eating whole food plant-based, not Mountain Dew and Pringles, but <laughs> bean soup and bean casseroles and green salads and oatmeal and whole grain bread with nice almond butter on it and such. And if you have the disease, type two diabetes, all the only word you'll ever hear is manage, manage, manage your diabetes. Wrong. Maybe 50 to 80% of patients can actually say, I'm no longer diabetic. I threw my pills away very carefully with my medical team helping me because I learned by watching a movie called Forks Over Knives or reading my chapter, The Sweet News on Diabetes and such, I found out that I'm, maybe even without a dietitian, I could learn how to make subtle but persistent changes in my diet and get, now a lot of it's gonna be healthy weight loss that comes with a plant diet compared to a standard American diet or a meat, cheese, egg, chicken heavy diet. Well, talking about uh, weight loss, chapter four, you've got something called Slim and Trim. So, yeah. so tell us what the core essence is of that chapter. Yeah, everybody's, you know, not everybody's, but because there's nothing wrong with being round and I'm not being uh, body stereotyping or slamming here. 
But there are a lot of people that, the, the, the reason obesity is a topic of conversation right now and in general is obese people are much more likely to have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, elevated blood sugar, diabetes, develop heart disease. Now there are some people that make it through life and don't develop those, uh, you know, back pain, knee pain, hip pain, hip replacement, even dementia. So it is a easy thing to measure to say, whoa, that extra hundred pounds on you puts you at risk for all these things. We know obesity costs us a lot of money to care for people. And there's been some new data in the last six weeks that there isn't really something called healthy obesity. If you do the right studies, you'll find subtle signs of early brain, heart, kidney disease. So we do want to work to maintain our weight near ideal. It's one of the most predictive factors for longevity. And it turns out there's something called nutritional density. If you have a big bowl of salad, beans, beets, quinoa, um, peas, this big, I mean, giant bowl, and you have a giant bowl of fried chicken with olive oil on it, you've got all this fiber, magnesium, nutrition, vitamins at relatively low calories. And over here, you've probably got 8,000 calories. They're the same size, as a, but you have probably more nutrition with less calories. Over here, you've got little nutrition with more calories. That's kind of a Dr. Joel Furman concept of nutritional density. And it's a way to manage your weight. You can fill up, fill up, fill up. Your stomach's bursting, but it's because it's got arugula and kale and spinach and red cabbage and purple cabbage and white cabbage and on and on. And uh, it doesn't have to be a salad. It could be casseroles and soups and enchiladas and burritos and pizzas that don't have cheese. Or, well, I'm not a big fan of fake cheese, but uh, it does make the transition easier. So, yes, slimmer is possible with plants. What is the right BMI in your opinion for health? So I try not to answer by opinion, I try to answer by science. Uh, six weeks ago, the Harvard School of Public Health, little name dropping, your alma mater there, Rena, um, put out a very big study, 130,000 doctors and nurses followed for 30 years, kept asking them questions every four years, and found that those that said, I do the following habits, uh, actually live 12 to 14 years longer. That's like, oh, wow. And what were the habits? Don't smoke, walk every day, eat five or more servings of fruit and vegetables every day, not hot dogs and macaroni and cheese. So eat five or more servings of fruit and vegetables. Um, actually, enjoy a little bit of alcohol every day. Isn't that surprising? Yeah. Keep your waist thin. And the last one was to have a BMI of 20 to 25. So to answer your question, based on that science, that's the sweet spot. Now, that's a tough goal. A BMI of 20 to 25 on my frame, 5.9, is like 165 pounds. And I'm going to reveal this to everybody publicly. I do not weigh 165 pounds. I'm just a little bit more than that. I am actually 20 pounds lighter than I was a year and a half ago. Uh, I've learned to use fasting to accelerate and maintain that. But so that is the answer to the question, 20 to 25. But if your BMI is 26, 27, 28, you know, work on it, but don't have too much guilt. Just don't let it creep beyond that. We are on to chapter five of his amazing new book. And the question is how to get high on plans for low blood pressure. What's the essence of that chapter? Yeah, uh, very succinctly, if you look around the world, the number one cause of death is 
study called the Global Burden of Disease Study is actually related to high blood pressure. Worldwide, more people die related to high blood pressure, heart disease, stroke, kidney failure, um, aneurysm, rupture, than any other named disease. It's a pretty amazing statistic, more than smoking. So, and there's been a lot of discussion, new guidelines, your blood pressure should be 130 over 80, not higher right. or less. Um, so you got to know your blood pressure. You can't guess it. And then what do you do if it's creeping up or how do you maintain it normal? It turns out large databases, food special, whole grains, legumes, uh, drinking water, tea, and black coffee is a foundation for maintaining normal blood pressure. Why? These are foods much richer in magnesium. These are foods much richer in potassium. They're lower naturally in salt. You don't have to even worry about it because they just naturally don't have much salt. Use spices like cumin and uh, turmeric and um, uh, fenugreek and some others on food would be a great thing. The natural spices that help. Uh, uh, specific foods, beets lower blood pressure, flaxseed lowers blood pressure, hibiscus tea lowers blood pressure. But just a generally a, a plant diet versus an animal diet will tend to favor. Probably you're going to lose some weight, which yeah. will help the uh, march to a normal blood pressure too. So yeah, you could, some people get off of medication because they've decided they'll change their lifestyle and do what needs to be done to control and return their blood pressure to normal. Are there any specific plants that are your favorite for reducing blood pressure? <coughs> top three? Um, you know, if you can enjoy beets, um, beets are probably my top of the list, particularly you go to the grocery store and you see the beets with all the greens. Um, Beetroot, uh, whether you saute, whether you juice that whole thing. Another little tip, if you're eating beets for your blood pressure, but you're using scope and Listerine to make your breath friendly and enjoyable, you actually may be negating the benefit of beets and greens and such. You need some little bacteria on your tongue to utilize to its fullest some of these green leafy foods beet foods and you actually kill those little poor bacteria it's cruel uh, with listerine scope so stop doing that get some kind of natural non-alcohol non-antibacterial mouthwash if you want or just brush your teeth a lot with a good upgraded toothpaste like i don't know why uh, you know Thinking of Tom's, that's just one that comes to my mind. It got acquired and it messed up with the ingredients and I no longer- They did and they changed the, yeah, they, the packaging isn't uh, stainless steel anymore. It's added a bunch of stuff in it too. Um, you know, honestly, I love just the regular Trader Joe's one. There's a couple of new ones out there. I actually find that people who complain a lot of bad breath, it's not the teeth. You know, you're trying to clean the teeth, but it's not the teeth, it's poor digestion. Yeah, it could be, yeah, be reflux. Yeah, it's, it's, so you're trying to fix, you're trying to again mask the problem uh, by killing, like you said, the good bacteria that's in your mouth. You know, it's, it's completely counterproductive. Um, so that was chapter five. Let's talk about chapter six, which is low plants goodbye cholesterol. What is that connection between plants and cholesterol? Well, um, it's a fundamental biochemical certainty, but people don't know it. Uh, your blood cholesterol is at a certain level because of two sources of cholesterol. Your liver makes cholesterol, then it dumps it into your bile and it gets into your intestines, and then you will absorb it from your intestines. Boop, cholesterol in your bloodstream. 
But the other source is dietary, and plants don't have cholesterol. Only chicken, eggs, cheese, yogurt, ice cream, lamb, pork, bacon, sausage, hot dog. Now, there is no cholesterol in a bean. There's no cholesterol because it's an animal made. Animals have liver. So if you find me a bean that has a liver, that bean will probably make cholesterol, but it doesn't exist. There's no banana that has a liver. So it, you cannot. So you can obviously reduce the amount of cholesterol coming in your body by eating plants exclusively or mainly plant foods. And that will impact your cholesterol. Um, now, uh, that, and that's a good thing to do. Uh, in general, studies are clear as day. If you had to pick a cholesterol to lead your life at 150 or 280, you're much more likely to have heart attack, stroke, aneurysm at 280 than if your cholesterol is 150. And I have many patients that got serious, changed their diet, learned how to make a bean soup, and cholesterol without medication fell 100 points. Well, that's wow. pretty impressive. I had one of them today. Um, so anyways, it's a good route. Some people are doing strictly a plant diet and they still got a high cholesterol because genetics are a factor. And you might have to use a variety of medicines or natural add-ons to the plants. What foods specifically lower cholesterol? Actually, soy products like organic tofu, edamame, tempeh, um, almonds are a good one. Oats uh, are a good one. These are there's some studies out there. I review them in the book. Uh, that's, that sounds great. All right. Well, on to chapter seven, which is all about the cancer and plant connection. So grow plants, not cancer cells. Yeah. So, you know, there's no, you, know, you don't want to oversell. There are people that have eaten plant diets and developed cancer. It's a very complex process of diet, of stress, of sleep, of toxins, of genetics. Um, however, on average, studies in Loma Linda say many of the cancers are less common in people that have plant diets. Certainly breast cancer, prostate cancer are two of the big ones. Um, and there's some data the other way, of course, strong, strong data from the World Health Organization that processed meats like bacon, sausage, hot dog, pepperoni are related to cancer of the colon so strongly that the World Health Organization two and a half years ago said, you know, bacon isn't a risk. Bacon causes cancer. Hot yeah. dogs cause cancer. Yeah. Uh, it's sad, but that's ignored by the medical community. It's ignored by our hospital system. There should It should be illegal to serve bacon in a hospital. It should be illegal to give kids hot dogs in a children's hospital because the data was reviewed so carefully and it's so definitive. So, you know, I don't want you to really eat soy hot dogs, but I'd rather eat a soy hot dog than a processed red meat um, hot dog. I'd rather uh, you substitute everywhere you can, you know, lower your risk. And if you're getting therapy for cancer, you do want to keep your calorie count up and eat abundantly, but eat a plant-based diet full of vitamins and nutrients and fiber and such. Um, there's a unique um, plant program called Chemoly, which is a dietary program during chemotherapy that has some very promising data. But nobody's curing cancer with uh, ground-up beef and hot dogs, so get off that stuff. Which plants are your favorite for someone who does have cancer? and is looking to make a couple of minor you know, changes, because sometimes people get very freaked out with big changes. What would be the again, top one, two, or three plants that you say start today, if you have cancer, these plants have got to be a part of your diet? 
you know, first would probably be the family called the brassica family. Some people call them cruciferous vegetables, but we're giving a shout out here to broccoli, to cauliflower, to Brussels sprouts, to bok choy, to um, greens, bitter greens like mustard greens, collard greens, wasabi, real wasabi, horseradish. Many, many, I think there's about 30 to 40 vegetables in the brassica family, but just broccoli. Um, if you eat raw broccoli, steamed broccoli, don't cook the heck out of it. Uh, there's just an amazing series of chemicals that have a strong influence on cancer cells and suppress cancer cells. And, uh, the second might be mushrooms. There's some it, mushrooms are very rich in vitamin D, which helps your immune system. And there's another component of mushrooms called beta glucans. But you could just get the plain old cheap white button cap mushrooms. And if you've had breast cancer and you have a habit of eating those plain old white button cap mushrooms, your risk of recurrent breast cancer goes down, like it does with soy, tofu, organic, like it does with broccoli. And lastly, give a shout out to turmeric, 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 turmeric. Uh, the little root looks like a worm, little root, or you shave it, you can juice it, you can uh, put it in tea, you can buy, of course, the dried spice. It's not a food now, it's a spice, but turmeric is amazing. I love all of those and there's such wonderful ways to cook these. I think one of the challenges we face is, you know, when you're starting to transition to a plant-based diet from having been a meat dominant eater is recipes and, and Dr. Joel, your book has some amazing recipes. So for those of you listening to this book masterclass, make sure you pick up the book and, and check out the recipe to help the transition. Yeah, there you go. The There's a 21 day eating plan with recipes. I see it right there. Not it like I read, I don't go home every night and read my own book. <laughs> um, I will give one quick recipe for meat eaters. Take those mushrooms, grind them up in a blender, so kind of the small fine grain ground up, and cook it in just coconut aminos and basil. And it almost tastes like basil chicken. So you can fool yourself into thinking you're eating basil chicken with this ground up uh, mushroom you know, blend with the basil leaves and um, you can throw some cilantro in there as well. All right, we are on to the next chapter, which is chapter eight, which is beans, not butter for better brains. What is the bean connection with the brains? Because I know there's a lot of us very worried about our brains these days. Right, you know, it's the bigger topic of eating for better brain health, beans and all the other plant-based options. So it's actually a bit controversial right now. Uh, and I go through this, two books came out in 2017 purporting different eating plans for the brain. Both are written by people with MD after the name. The book I like, and I reference it, is called Alzheimer's Solution, and it's written by two doctors in Loma Linda, Dr. Husband and Wife team named Shurzai. I'm going to be with them tomorrow. I'm excited to see them again. Um, and they have, and Dr. Neil Barnard has very strong data that a plant-based diet is, you wanna keep your cholesterol actually low, which plant-based diet favor, on a diet rich in magnesium and the broccolis, the chemicals. And that in fact, you know, one of the biggest causes of dementia is arteries getting clogged up. It's called vascular or blood vessel dementia. Well, go ahead and enjoy your bacon, your hot dogs, your greasy burgers, your meat-based, uh, cheese-based, chicken-based diet, and that's much more likely than with a plant-based diet. So. Uh, you know, there's also, although it's the only plant that may not be great for the brain, but certainly it's a lot of controversy, is the coconut oil. So, again, coconut oil is not a plant. Coconut's a plant. 
we're processing it to pull just all the fat out, leaving all the fiber, all the carbohydrate, all the protein, or whatever else they do in the process. So there is a bit of controversy about that. You know, the comment is made off in the brain is 60% fat, so eat butter, um, eat lard, eat animal flesh that has animal fat in it. Uh, it's simply not true. Um, Okinawa, Japan, until recently the KFC is there, had probably the longest longevity in the world with great brain function. And they had very, very lower fat diets because they ate a lot of plants, and okay. a lot of potatoes, and a lot of... Uh, uh, you know, other spices and all, uh, and very little in the animal world. And they had great brains, and there's other examples of that. So plants for brains. Keep your arteries open throughout your brain. You'll have better brain function. Uh, there's some good data that depression, uh, anxiety may go down. Your gastrointestinal system is more stable with a plant diet, naturally low in hormones, antibiotics, that it does. And as your GI tract is healthier, often your brain and mood are lifted. What's your favorite plant for the for Brad Brain? Yeah, I gotta go back to turmeric again, because some very clear data that Alzheimer's rates, it's an association, but find a pocket where people naturally eat a lot of turmeric, which is usually portions of India, and there's usually very low uh, dementia rates in those areas. So that would be number one, blueberries. Some people call blueberries brain berries. Uh, very rich antioxidants that have been associated with better brain function. Walnuts, great stuff. Yeah, I've heard about walnuts for sure. You know, it looks like a brain, so it's good for your brain. All right, on to the next chapter, chapter nine, grow plants, not autoimmune diseases. And of course, we have a whole epidemic of autoimmune diseases. The numbers are ridiculous. Something like 50 million people have been diagnosed and we're spending upwards of, of billions of dollars. So how can someone switching to a plant-based diet help their autoimmune? What do you talk about in this chapter? Yeah, trying to find the science there. And what we do know is there's this fancy word called inflammation. The word has the, the, the has inside it the word flame, flame on fire, your joints on fire, your kidneys on fire, your brain on fire, your blood vessel. It's not a good process. You can measure it with blood work or you can see it in a physical exam in the joints. And we do know that animal-based foods, even if you're maybe buying grass-fed and free range and animal-based foods have some chemicals in them that can't be pulled out that do favor inflammation, whereas a plant-based diet is usually called an anti-inflammatory diet. But you want to make sure you get lots of plant-based omega-3, lots of flaxseed, lots of chia seeds, lots of hemp, uh, walnuts and nuts and all are anti-inflammatory. So there are some dramatic published examples of diseases as serious as lupus, being reversed on a plant-based diet. The psychiatrist in Houston, Texas is probably the leading advocate on this, Dr. Goldner, I talk about her in the book. You got the example Serena Williams, a Wimbledon champion, and her autoimmune dry eye syndrome called Sjogren's going away. Of course, that's a story in the news. It's not published science, but it seems pretty true. Uh, Dr. John McDougall in Santa Rosa, California has published some science. We need more. Okay. We need more data, we need more science. But uh, the anecdote, the case reports, the Facebook users group reports of cleaning up the diet and replacing it with giant green smoothies, rich in flaxseed, giant salads, beans and such, um, I have been very encouraging. So I would encourage anybody dealing with an autoimmune disease to look at diet as a pathway to restore health 
and uh, read the chapter in the book and give it a try because you sure aren't going to have a side effect by adopting a healthy plant-based diet. Absolutely. All right, on to chapter 10, which is the plant-powered GI tract and kidney systems. It's interesting, our poor kidneys don't get a lot of love or attention, and you've talked about the kidneys in this book. So share a little bit more about how does plant-powered diet help with the GI tract, but more importantly with the kidneys. Yeah, well, there's directly and indirectly. Indirectly, if a plant-based diet I write about lowers your risk of diabetes or reverses your diabetes, diabetes is if not number one, number two cause of end-stage kidney disease, blood pressure. If you're able to lose weight, lower your blood pressure with a plant-based diet, blood pressure is the number one or number two cause of end-stage kidney disease. Um, that will benefit you. Um, and then directly, uh, we know that it is taxing for the kidney to manage protein. There may be a different way that plant protein is handled by the kidney versus uh, uh, animal protein. And there, again, isn't all the science we need, but there's some isolated case reports and such that uh, various kidney diseases, not all, but various kidney diseases do respond to a plant diet. And again, it, maybe it's predominantly through blood sugar inflammation and blood pressure pathways, but um, you certainly aren't hurting your kidneys when you shift your bean stew to bean stew, bean stew, beef stew to bean stew. And when you shift mm -hmm. your, uh, you know, your burger from, beef burger to a quinoa kale burger, you're not hurting your kidneys, you're almost certainly favoring better health and uh, better tolerance. All right, on to the next chapter, which is um, a really fun chapter, chapter 11, which is 50 Shades of Green with Plants and Sex. All right, I didn't think that there was a connection. I would have assumed the opposite. The more meat you eat, sort of, you know, the hotter. Think about a hot dog. If I had a hot dog in my hand, it would just be drooping down. <laughs> think, about a, think about a carrot. That carrot's straight up, and that makes the case. Wow. But there's, again, I, I'll say it every time, there's a lot of science and a lot of reason to believe a plant-based diet favors long-term sexual health performance. It's a real problem. I mean, the science says, you know, by the time men are 50 to 60, 40, 50% of men have erectile dysfunction. We learned even just this week, again from the Harvard School of Public Health, if a man's having a problem with erectile function, it's a very strong risk that they also have clogged heart arteries. So if the only symptom is that you need Viagra, you still need your heart checked, you still need careful analysis. Why? Because sexual responsiveness in men and women is related to blood flow. And if you have healthy, clean arteries, reading a healthy, plant diet, you're likely to have better and sustained sexual performance your whole life. And if you have an American diet or even maybe a cleaner but meat-heavy, cheese-heavy, chicken-heavy diet, you are at risk of uh, clogging your arteries. That's part of it. There's specific foods that favor artery health. We talked about some of them. Watermelon, I didn't mention. Beets, greens, um, pine nuts and all may contribute to better sexual performance. There's some rumor out there, there's actually some science that body odor as measured scientifically is more favorable in people that eat plants and dead animals. So the whole dating scene might be more enjoyable. So um, yeah, so I say switch your blue pills to blueberries. Um, you know, uh, and the worst thing you can do before a date is eat something like a sausage egg McMuffin because you will be the hot dog with no power in the tower. Are there any specific plants that actually drive sexual performance? 
Um, yeah, you know, it's, 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 those, it's those artery friendly ones actually, uh, but it's, uh, there's some stuff about some spices, cinnamon, cloves, um, again, mustards, including turmeric. There's the, uh, the berries, there's the watermelon, there's the green leafies, particularly arugula, arugula, which I think some people call rocket. Yeah, it's yum. If you want to rocket in your date, eat some rocket. Chapter 12, the garden of youth. Are you saying that the fountain of youth is found actually in a garden, in a plant? Well, we got some suggestive data. So, you know, one piece of data, there's these famous areas in the world called blue zones that um, have been scientifically studied, areas where people live to age 100 or over more than expected, 10 times more than expected. One's in Japan, one's in Greece, one's in Italy, one's in Costa Rica, one's in California. And it's pretty clear that this is the real deal. And none of them are meat heavy, chicken heavy, cheese heavy, egg heavy communities. Uh, both Okinawa and Loma Linda, California, are heavily vegetarian to vegan. Um, some of the Greece, uh, Italy, are typical Mediterranean, very low in uh, traditionally red meats um, and high in fruit, you know, garden fresh fruits and vegetables. That's one piece of data. There's some fascinating science I talk about by Dr. Dean Ornish that he did with a Nobel Prize winning scientist, Elizabeth Blackburn at UCSF, suggesting you can actually anti-age your genes by shifting your diet to a completely plant diet that's been published in premier journals. Um, you know, there are people that live to an old age eating all kinds of food because it's a complex situation of good luck and genetics. And the best thing to, if you want to live to 100 is have parents that live to 100. But for those of you, you know, need to just planning a plant-based diet and longevity is a pretty good thing. I was listening to a uh, lectured by one of the world's leading experts on longevity. And what he said is what you want to do is keep your arteries clean so as more and more innovations come into the world of longevity, you'll show up with clean arteries. Well, how in the heck do you keep your arteries clean? He did not jump to the conclusion on that particular interview to adopt a plant-based diet because there was a little bias there on uh, the diet that he uh, promotes. But I would have raised my hand uh, if I'd been in that term and said, so then that lead to the conclusion oatmeal salads, casseroles, bean soups, tacos, enchiladas, jackfruit, tempeh, learn some new skills. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You have a chapter about plants and religion, which is yeah. the last chapter we'll cover in this book series. Okay. So what, did, what have you learned? What do you share about plants and plant-based diet and religions? Yeah. Well, you can find uh, certainly Christian groups promoting, so, I mean, the Adventist church, uh, worldwide being one, promoting plant-only diets. You can find Jewish organizations. People are surprised you can find Muslim organizations, clearly Hindu, uh, Buddhist organizations and societies, uh, the Jain uh, in um, India that are very respectful of animals and mm -hmm. harm. You know, it's some of it's out of the principle of ahimsa and kindness and such. Some of it's out of health as much as possible. I mean, you go back, and many people do this, to the book of Genesis. If you read that carefully, the human species was not fed animal products till after the flood in Noah, and it was sort of a concession and a plan B to allow humans to now uh, include animals in their diet. And there are people that point to that. There are people that do the Daniel fast around Easter because of 
the book of Daniel saying the superior diet was a diet without any animal products. So all those points are out there, um, whether people put high priority on that or not. But it's interesting and um, it's noble. We live in a world where there's a lot of cruelty and all. And a lot of people say peace begins in the kitchen. Peace begins on your plate. And they're not talking about slaughtering animals for food. They're talking about not slaughtering animals and having a peaceful diet and a loving diet. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for writing this, this great book, The Plant-Based Solution. Let's take a look at it one more time. All right. Well, those of you watching or listening, check out the show notes. We've obviously got the link in there for you. Do not miss the recipes. They are some delicious recipes in there. Are the <laughs> Say it out louder for the podcast listeners, Dr. Joel. They didn't hear you. Oh, the recipes are simple. I mean, I do own a few restaurants now, but these came out of my kitchen and mainly oh. my, my dear wife, Karen, and we are not Culinary Institute of America trained people. So uh, we got overnight oats. We got a lentil loaf. That's my mother's recipe. I got bless her. We got a smoothie. We got raw oats. We got, actually probably the most popular recipe is a mashed chickpea salad which, you know, you put in a pita, you put on a whole grain bread, you put on a lettuce wrap, a collard grain wrap, just so simple, but it's, it's like you never need tuna fish again once you have that. And it's absolutely delicious. I actually toss some tahini in there when I yeah. blend it up. Oh my God, it is just, I am starving. I am so hungry now. So we're gonna, we're gonna okay. this book masterclass series. Dr. Joel Kahn, keep up the amazing work. And for the rest of you, if you've ever thought about transitioning to a plant-based diet, this is the book to get started with. Thank you. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.